Hey, how many of you have ever heard the term fair weather fan? You heard that term before, fair weather fan? Okay, let me ask you this. How how many of you shed some tears this past week as you watched Peyton Manning's uh, press conference? I know Josh Tandy did. He told me a little bit about it. Uh, There was some emotion involved as we said goodbye to a a great hero. And and I know it's really hard to believe that this magical run, you know, with Peyton Manning, the quarterback, is over. And Colts fans have proved themselves really well over the last 14 years with some great fans and great support for their team, you know, for the Colts, for, for this city. Uh, but now with Peyton Manning's departure and a whole lot of other people, if you've watched the news the last couple of days, some would say that the commitment level of the fans of Indianapolis, well, it, it's kind of being put to the test. That we're just going to sort of see over the next few years, you know, what the fan base is like in Indianapolis. And it kind of reminds me uh, of the good old Chicago Bulls days. You know, I, I was a Michael Jordan fan. I don't know about you. I rooted for the Chicago Bulls. And I have a reason to do that because I grew up in Illinois, but in my mind, there were no better days than when Michael Jordan was playing and Scottie Pippen and Luke Longley and Bill Winnington and Tony Kukoc and, uh, well, you can't forget about Dennis Rodman. And and those were fun days to root for the Bulls. And I watched every game that I could, but when Jordan left, well, you could say that things really started to change and the team entered this rebuilding period and he thought maybe it was only going to be a few years, but it was sort of a decade. And, and once Jordan started, once Jordan left, you know, I really lost interest. I guess you could say that I was a fair weather fan of the Bulls. And, and I just think there are a lot of fair weather fans out there today. You know, when it comes to sports and when it comes to rooting for your team that we'll watch as long as they're winning or we'll watch as long as a championship is possible, you know, and go to parties to watch games, but, but what happens when the team's not doing so well? You know, I mean, what, what happens when the team starts to go a little south? And for the fan, your commitment level is put to the test. You know, when, when the team starts losing, you don't feel the rush to go out and buy tickets because, well, maybe somebody will give them to you. Or, or, or you're not as willing to go out and invest in a new jersey because, well, that great American event that we call the garage sale, I mean, you can pretty much, you know, find those jerseys. And then, and then we get angry and we feel this entitlement as a fan that we ought to be able to call a sports radio show and help make decisions, you know, about how teams ought to move ahead. And so we're all sort of riding this fan wagon of sorts. And once our commitment level is really tested, well, then we really find out how much we have invested. And there's this temptation to bail or to jump off of the fan wagon altogether. And I want to say that I think that it's the test of the commitment, the the test of commitment, your commitment level that might give you some indication of where you are in this whole fan or follower sort of uh, of paradigm. I mean, it's, it's easy to be fans of Jesus when things are going well in your life. But what happens when things aren't going so well? I mean, what, what happens when it doesn't appear that Jesus is holding up his end of the deal? You know, I mean, when things aren't going as well financially or, you know, things aren't going too well at work or, or you're still not married. I mean, you know, our reaction during some of these tough times says a lot about our faith and where our faith is. I mean, follow Jesus in the New Testament. And there are a number of times in the New Testament when Jesus uh, put uh, the crowd or the followers to the test. I mean, times when he was looking to separate the fans from the followers. And so Jesus would say things to really test the commitment level of the people that were around him. He, He would test their commitment level to see if they were really ready to follow him in all things. And 
And so Jesus would say things like in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, we looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, was Jesus really saying that you had to hate your mommy and daddy in order to follow him? No. I mean, the people that he was talking to, he knew what they meant. He knew, they knew that, that Jesus was talking priorities here. And, and so with these words, Jesus was basically drawing a line in the sand saying, hey, what, what side of the line are you going to stand on? I mean, is it going to be your parents or is it going to be me? Is it going to be your children or is it going to be me? I mean, who comes first? I mean, you just have to choose. And, and we'd find out pretty quickly. He'd find out pretty quickly who's in and who's out. It was a, a test of commitment. And most people went home. On another occasion, Jesus was feeding a large crowd of people and people were eating. And all of a sudden they were asking for more food and making these requests. And Jesus was able to get the crowd to quiet down. And he said these words, he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't follow me. Again, Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, hey, here's what it requires. Here's what it means to call yourself a follower of mine, that you can't have your life and my life both at the same time. Again, it's a test of commitment. And most of the people went home. And so we've been in this series called Not a Fan for these last five weeks, and we've got one more to go next week. Uh, this series is based on this popular book, Not a Fan, uh, by Kyle Eidelman. I know that many of you maybe have picked up this book. and we'll, our, our connection groups, a number of our connection groups are tracking along with us throughout this series, asking the question, am, am I a fan of Jesus Christ or am I a follower of Jesus Christ? And way back in week one, we, we gave you some definitions. And I want to do that again if you're taking notes. What's a fan? What, what is a fan of Jesus Christ? A fan is an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus I mean, we, we sort of stand on the outside and we look in and we cheer for Jesus, but, but, but we kind of determine the commitment level or, or the level that we want to participate with him. On the other hand, if you want a definition for a follower, a follower is someone who is completely committed. A follower is someone who is sold out, all in, or seeking to be all in in everything that they do. And just so that we're clear, Jesus went, never went looking for fans. I mean, his ego didn't require him to build a great crowd He always went looking for followers. He came calling followers. And that's what he's looking for from his children. And that's what he's looking for from you and me, from this church, is that we would be his followers. And so let me just ask you, where are you right now with all of this? Would you say you're more of a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? And where do you want to be? And I just hope that that question is messing with you in some way that you at least give it some time, even beyond this room, you know, maybe on a drive to work or, you know, as you're praying or if you've got some time reading your Bible, am I more of a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? You know, there was one prayer request turned in last week. I really appreciate what this person said. She said, you know, I'm just realizing more and more I've got a lot of fan tendencies in me, but I want to be a follower. I want to give more and more of my life to Jesus. Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? He's called us to be his followers. Uh, There really is no other option for us. And and if you're still asking that question of your life and and, and kind of processing through it, let's take a look at it from another angle. I mean, maybe ask yourself today, what's my level of commitment to Jesus? I mean, how much am I committed to him? I mean, when my, my commitment level is tested, when my commitment level is tested, what side of the line do I typically stand on? Now, Jesus gives us an idea of the type of commitment he's looking for. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Jesus said, in the same way, any of you who does not, who does not give up everything, 
he has cannot be my disciple. Now, the key word here is the word everything. Again, it's all in. It's complete, 100% surrender. He said, and it's not as if Jesus is saying, or, or we can look at this and say, oh, he's talking about pastors here, right? I mean, he's just talking about seminary students or missionaries or those who want to go a little overboard on their faith. No, Jesus says it's anyone and it's for everyone and it requires everything. You know, spend a little time with a verse like this and you'll find out how committed you are. You know, we've been talking about the DTR, okay? It's that define the relationship talk that comes up in every relationship somewhere along the way and where you're determining, okay, is this, is this more than attraction? You know, is there something to this? And, you know, where the relationship goes has everything to do with the commitment level. And we keep coming back to this verse, and it's the key verse for our series. Let's look at it again together in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And you might want to leave your Bibles or leave a bookmark in your Bible in this place. Luke 9, 23 says, Then he said to them all, Jesus is talking here, If anyone would come after me, and in some translations it says the word follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, it's here that Jesus helps us more and more to understand what it means to call ourselves one of his followers. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is the life that Jesus has called us to. And last week, Steve spent some time focusing on that word deny. What what does it mean to deny yourself as a Christian? You know, as as a follower of Jesus Christ, to deny yourself means to surrender. I mean, it means to go all in. It means, you know, humility in all things, nothing less. It's others before you. It's God's will before your will. It's not yours. And today I want to spend a few minutes on one other phrase that we've referred to a few times throughout the past weeks. But it's the phrase there in Luke 9, 23 that says to take up your cross daily. What does Jesus mean when he says take up your cross daily? Now, first glance, that sounds a little poetic. It's nice. Let's put it on a greeting card or something to take up your cross. But the truth is that for the first century Jew, there was nothing comforting or poetic about words like these. The cross wasn't something that people wore as jewelry on their body. It wasn't something that you hung up in your home. The cross meant torture. The cross meant death. The cross meant pain and defeat. And so Jesus called people to follow him and he used words like these this statement take up your cross daily and there is nothing exciting or comforting about such an invitation and so for us we we've got to we've got to understand these words in the context to which jesus was sharing them and only ask ourselves what does this mean for me i mean what does it look like for me in 2012 to take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. And, and in your notes, and if you're following along with us, I, I wanted to give you just a few things in the time that we have together. And what does it mean to take up your cross daily, you know, and follow Jesus? And the first word that I want to give you is that to take up your cross daily, it means obedience. I mean, it requires obedience from us. You know, let's just take the word from uh, this phrase here, you know, take up your cross daily. The word take is an important word because the word take implies that the cross is not being forced on you. It is something that you take for yourself. You willingly put it on yourself and carry that. And who does that? I mean, who willingly takes the cross on their life to move forward in order to follow Jesus? And I, I got to thinking this past week about those Uh, over the last few years that have been baptized here at Genesis Church over and over again. And 
You know, I was baptized uh, as a 12-year-old, and every time I baptize someone, I'm forced to think about my own baptism. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ as a camp and was later baptized at my church, and, and it was great, and I was excited about it. I remember it. My parents were, were proud of me, and it was a great moment, and I still remember that moment today. And I love baptizing kids here today, and I love hearing their stories. I love hearing the stories about the influence a parent has had on their life and their faith or about how a Gen Kids teacher introduced them to Jesus Christ. But do you know what? As much as I love, you know, baptizing children, I'm always envious of the adults that we baptize. I'm always envious of the college students that we baptize. And it's not that what I think that kids are doing doesn't matter or that they don't understand. And it has nothing to do with doubting my own baptism. But over and over again, when I baptize a a college student or an adult or someone who's been around, seen some things in their life, experienced some things and have gone through some tough times, over and over again, I see the emotion and I see the passion in their eyes as they're baptized. And it's just like they have a, a greater understanding of the decision that they're making. You know, they've been through some things. They've seen some junk. And not only are they trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they're really making a statement that they want to make Him the Lord of their life. They want to make Him the leader of their life. It's almost as if they're saying, hey, I'm taking up my cross and I'm following Jesus. You know, Richard Vermbrand uh, survived the Soviet occupation of Romania uh, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he endured persecution and torture over and over again and lived to tell about it. And he once said, there are those who believe and there are those who believe they believe. There are those who believe and there are those who believe they believe. I mean, what's the difference? What distinguishes a fan from a follower of Jesus? I really think it has a lot to do with obedience. You know, it's understanding what Jesus Christ has done for me and now the life that He has called me to. And so I'm doing everything that I can to live and to obey Him. It's those who choose to deny themselves. It's those who who have been called, that we understand that we have been called as Christ followers. It's a personal choice that you make to say, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life and I am going to live for Him obediently in everything that I do. Another thing that we know about taking up the cross is that it requires suffering and sacrifice. It did then, it still does today, and and it's impossible to carry a cross without experiencing some suffering in your life. It's impossible to carry a cross without some sacrifice. And Jesus talks again, time and time again, about suffering and sacrifice that His followers will endure, that will endure today. And He was talking along these lines in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. And here's what He said to His people. He says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Jesus says, you know, hey, If you're going to follow me, you better expect to be hated. You better expect to be excluded. You better expect to be insulted and rejected because of my name. And maybe that just brings some understanding to some of you in your own life today and some of the persecution and some of the frustration that you face. And Jesus says, you know, if you're going through that, blessed are you. That's the life that you've been called to. And then he kind of contrasts that a few verses later with these words. In verse 26, he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Jesus says, if everyone speaks well of you, if no one excludes you, if you don't go through any junk, if you've not been rejected by anyone, you might have to ask yourself whether you're really carrying the cross of Jesus Christ or not. 
Because again here and in other places, you know, following Jesus, he has told us over and over again, it will cost you something. And this is kind of a frightening verse. And maybe even a little painful. And it really even got me thinking about my own life this past week. I mean, when was the last time that following Jesus cost me anything? And maybe that's the question for you. When was the last time that following Jesus cost you something? When was the last time it cost you a relationship? When was the last time it cost you a promotion or maybe a raise? When was the last time that you endured the insults or the humiliation from some of your peers or some of your friends because of your faith or the decisions you were making? When, when was the last time you had to listen to sighs you know, from a teacher or from other students you know, in a classroom as you stood up for your faith in Jesus? I was talking with one young person this past week, uh, Kelly. She attends Genesis Church and uh, she's a model for living. Uh, That's what she does with her time and and the life that God has called her to. And she was telling me about how difficult it is as a young Christian woman to really stand up for her convictions and principles today. And I asked her if she'd share some of that with me in an email and that I could share some of it with you. And here's what she writes. She says, while I sometimes wonder if God wants me on this career path long term, I've been praying that God would open more doors so that I do have a long career in this industry. And not because I'm seeking to be America's top next top model either but because I see it as my mission field. I've always wanted to do missions work, and I always imagined it being in a third world country. Then the Lord led me into the modeling industry where he opened my eyes to see that there are people who desperately need Jesus and who will do just about anything to fill the void in their lives. I've been given the opportunity to share my faith and my convictions with people in the industry, and it's been both a blessing and a challenge. And any time I turn down a job that pays real well, especially a job that is sexual in nature, People in the industry, photographers, stylists, designers, other models, ask why I would even consider passing up such an amazing opportunity. And that's the point where I get to share my convictions. And while I'm always thankful for those opportunities, be it fuming around, been written my hand, times open up and disinvest, but I'm a law. I'm an unconventional path, take off a job, financially thankful for me, sinners to people. The people have shaped holes in their heart which they continually try to fill with sex, alcohol, drugs, fame, and money, everything but God, and it is absolutely heartbreaking. And then last year, I pray that the Lord will provide me the continued opportunity to spread the message of God's love to this dark industry. And my prayer is that God will use me to be a source of light so that eventually the void in these people's lives will be filled with the everlasting truth and peace that comes only from Jesus Christ. And I ask that you would pray with me and pray for me you know, that I can continue to do this work, to live this life that God has called me to. Again, if you and I aren't sacrificing, if there's never any suffering in your life, you better make sure you're giving thanks to God, all right? And thanking Him for the good good work that He's doing in you. But you might also want to ask, am I really carrying a cross for Jesus Christ or not? I mean, can you point to any example of sacrifice in your life, any inconvenience, a place where you gave up comfort or gave up finances or even your reputation for the name of Jesus? And I'm not suggesting that we go looking for pain and suffering. I I sure don't want to invite that into my life. But the Bible helps prepare us for some of the challenges that come with a life fully sold out to Christ. And we don't read these like we should. I mean, they they don't sound as well on a Sunday morning. They aren't as inviting here. But let's look at a couple of those. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, again, that's just another way of saying to be a follower, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. 
And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, which is part of being His follower, but also to suffer for Him. I mean, following Jesus means you believe, but that you will suffer for Him too. And so I just have to ask myself, am I really carrying the cross for Jesus Christ or not? Am I sacrificing to some degree? I mean, when was the last time following Jesus cost me something? When was the last time following Jesus cost you something? Thomas Akempis once said, Jesus has many who love His kingdom in heaven, but few who bear His cross. He has many who desire comfort, but few who desire suffering. He finds many to share His feast, but few His fasting. All desire to rejoice with Him, but few are willing to suffer for His sake. Many admire His miracles, but few follow Him in the humiliation of the cross. The humiliation of the cross. I mean, it comes with the territory. I mean, it's part of what it means to follow Jesus, that you and I, we will endure suffering and sacrifice for the name of Jesus. And finally, we see that taking up your cross, to take up your cross daily, well, let me, it, it, it calls us, it, it demands death daily. To take up your cross for Jesus, it demands death daily. Now, don't overlook that word. I mean, you know, to, to give up something daily. I mean, this is really where it gets challenging. I mean, what if, what if I wasn't fully committed to my family? I mean, what if I said to my wife and kids, you know, hey, I'm in Monday through Friday. I'll play the husband, dad, you know, kind of deal. But Saturday and Sunday, I'm off. All right. I mean, that's mine. You know, I'm not fully committed to this. You know, daily goes a long way in defining for us what it means to be committed. And that's part of the ongoing challenge in following Jesus, that you say, I will die daily. I will die daily for Him. I will live for Him. And so Jesus just draws a line in the sand with these words. And again, it's a test of commitment for us. I was reading an article from the Associated Press this past week, and it was an article about a new generation of vegetarians. And this group, the Associated Press, they interviewed this girl by the name of Christy Pugh, and she's 28 at the time. And her statement uh, sort of captures this new vegetarian approach that's sweeping across America today. Christy says in the article, she says this, she says, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm just not 100% committed to it. And then she goes on to say, I'm a vegetarian, but I really like sausage. All right. I mean, isn't that humorous? I mean, that there are more and more people today who are out there approaching this idea of vegetarianism uh, with a whole new way. And, and with so many concerns about eating organically or eating healthy, more and more people are choosing this life, choosing this way of living. In fact, the number of people who claim this, that I'm a vegetarian, except for the fact that I really like meat, it's led to this new group, a whole new category, a title that's been given today, that they are called flexitarians. All right, flexitarians, they, they go both ways. And, and I guess when you think about it, I'm probably a flexitarian too because I, I do like vegetables. I eat vegetables unless meat is being served, all right? And, and, you know, preferably, you know, medium with a lot of seasoning and a really big baked potato on the side, huh, right? Doesn't that sound good? And as Kyle mentions in this book, unfortunately, we've got a lot of flexi Christians today. You know, there are people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus until it gets uncomfortable. Or I'm a follower of Jesus until it becomes a little inconvenient. And kind of like Christy in this article, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm just not 100% committed to it. I really like Jesus, but I don't really get this idea of serving the poor. 
You know, I really like Jesus, but when it comes to my finances, I'm going to declare that as off limits. Or I really like Jesus, but why does it have to involve more than one hour of my week? Why can't it just be a Sunday thing? Whereas Jesus says, no, following me means you die daily. There was a book that came out a couple of years ago, a book written by a guy by the name of David Kinneman and the Barna Group called Unchristian. And after extensive research with Christians and non-Christians alike in America, Unchristian concludes that the church and Christians today have an image problem in America. And the research is disturbing on a couple of fronts. It's sort of like this research found that for Christians seeking to live a morally distinctive lifestyle, well, there was just really no difference between Christians and non-Christians when it came to this moral distinction. In fact, they called it statistically equivalent. Basically, when Christians were asked to identify their activities over the past 30 days, Christians were just as likely to gamble, to look at pornography, to steal, to be involved in physical abuse, to be drunk, or to have said that something was tr- uh, wasn't true. Uh, they are just as likely to gossip as non-Christians, that there was no statistical difference between Christians and non-Christians when it came to this category of morality. It's kind of like this, that if you were to take 100 Christians and 100 non-Christians and put them in a room together and mix them all up, that it was impossible for you to point out or to pick out who the Christians were, again, based on morality, based on lifestyle. And what was so alarming to this was for non-Christians who, through this research, were just saying over and over, I don't see any difference in lifestyle. I mean, why would I choose a life like that. And there was something else alarming that came out of this study about Christians that research showed that four out of five Christians, that's 80% of believers today, agreed with this statement that the Christian life is well described, best described as trying hard to do what God commands. Four out of five would say, listen, if, if it came down to multiple choice and I had to choose the best definition of what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus today, I would say that it's trying hard to do what God commands. It, it, it's about following the rules, the moral code. And I just got to wondering if maybe that's part of the problem. That the problem is that we define Christianity today as a moral code, trying to keep all the rules. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that that there's there's not a life and a way of living that we've been called to through God's Word. But we're not living under the Old Testament law anymore. I mean, when Jesus came, He changed all of that for us. He died for our sins, and we are now offered grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's how you define your faith. And that's what, you give, uh, that's what gives you the power to overcome the grip or the pull of sin in your life. I mean, it's God's grace and it's His power and His strength get, that gives you and I the ability to live a morally distinct life. And I just think that's part of the reason why we might have an image problem in the world today is that we've got a lot of people who are trying really, really, really hard to do what God's Word says and then failing instead of understanding that it is the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ that makes all of the difference, that it's our leaning on the power given to us by God that gives us the ability to live for Him and to glorify the name of Jesus in this world. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under what? We're under grace. That's what Jesus has done for us. I mean, and I, I just think this is one of the tipping points for for followers of Jesus today, that, that, that fans lean on the law and trying to do all of these things, this perfection and failing over and over again, only to give up and say, what's the point? Whereas followers lean on grace. 
you know, followers grow more and more dependent every single day on the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. And it's the relationship that makes all of the difference for us. Now, I was reading a book recently. It's the year of the book in our house. Uh, Jenny and I have this long list of books that we uh, hope to read over the next uh, months. Uh, and there was a book that I read recently called Growing Up Amish. All right, I know that might not sound fascinating to you, but I really enjoyed it. And I know there are a number of stereotypes about the Amish community, some probably true, some probably not true. But in reading this story about one particular guy who eventually left the Amish community altogether, he describes his life having been born into an Amish home and finally walking away forever around the age of 23. And it's a pretty incredible story because around the age of 16, he ran away from it all. Uh, He left the community altogether and went out and chose a completely different life because as he describes it over and over again, I mean, the rules and the stress and the expectations and the legalism was so great that he chose to walk away from it all, but then he eventually came back. And he fell into the same trap of understanding how great the expectations were. And so he ran away from it again. And over and over, he ran away something like five times from the Amish community because, again, the stress was so great. Now, the tension is, why keep going back? Well, he knew no other way of life. And as he continued to search for purpose and meaning and forgiveness, all he knew was, I've got to go back to the community and see if once and for all I can live up to the expectations. Until finally the last time he ended up in an Amish community in northern Indiana. And he was there on his own. And it was there for the first time that he he built a friendship with an Amish man, a man who wasn't born into the Amish community, but entered the Amish community later on in life. He met a man that taught him that the difference was not in trying to follow all the rules, but the difference was Jesus. And that it is through grace by faith in Jesus Christ, that everything changes and that we can find forgiveness and we can find purpose and we can go out and we can live a follower of Jesus Christ. And this particular man discovered this and he discovered the relationship and he walked away from the Amish community once and for all, never to go back. It all changed with Jesus. It all changed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, how do you discover a relationship like that? You have to die to yourself. It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He says, I die every day. That's what it means to be a follower. I die every day. I give it all to him. I surrender everything I have to Jesus Christ. It is complete, sold-out commitment. This is my intent. It doesn't mean that I won't stumble. It doesn't mean that I won't fail along the way. But my intent is to follow him, to die to myself daily, to live for Jesus Christ in all things. I die daily for him. That's the life that we've been called to. Last verse as the, big, the band comes out and we'll pray together. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Will you pray with me? And as we pray this morning, I just want to ask you, who's, who's ready to have a heart completely surrendered? completely sold out, completely committed to Him. Maybe that's where you are today and maybe that's the work that God is doing in you this morning as you're ready to respond and to walk away from this room in just a moment and say, I will live completely for Him. I will die daily for my Savior. I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray for those in the room right now 
who are hearing this message and they are hearing this message loud and clear, not simply because I've delivered these words or stumbled with these words, Father, but because of the power and the work of your spirit in us today. And we are listening and we are ready and we are humbling ourselves, God, to open ourselves up to your power. It is by our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the grace that's been made available to us to give us faith, to give us the power to go and to live for him, to live obediently. And what's that look like for you in your life today? Where is God calling you to obedience right now? To, to live a life, you know, maybe that requires suffering and sacrifice. I just want to acknowledge that even right now, some of you right now, you're enduring that suffering and sacrifice in your life today and it is too much to bear. And I want to invite you to lean into the strength and the power that is made available to us from God through Jesus Christ and to take that power and that strength in your life today and maybe even thank God for it as you have been chosen to bear the cross for the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that he would give you strength and power in your life today. God, show us what it looks like to die daily, to sacrifice all for you and for your name as followers of Jesus in everything that we do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We thank you for those words today. And as we continue praying today, I also acknowledge and know that there may be some of you here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to have that relationship, to receive that forgiveness, that new beginning, that love, that work of God in your life today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to receive that in your heart today with no one looking around, maybe just slip your hand up where you are right, are right now. It's just a way of acknowledging, I need Jesus. I want him in my life today. And if that's you, just pray this prayer with me. Lord God, I need you. I thank you for Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I am surrendering all today. Forgive me and give me the strength and the power to go and live for you today. God, we thank you for all of these prayers offered up to you today. We're celebrating them, God. Teach us how to follow you. Teach us what it looks like to live for you. We give you all the thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.